Okay, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, this morning we're going to be taking up from verse 27, where we left off last time, but let's open with a word of prayer first. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your wisdom, the wisdom that uh, has brought us to Christ and given us our salvation, Lord, and that your wisdom is, is so much greater than that of the world. And your power is greater than that of the world, Lord. We just thank you for, for that. And we pray that as we study this morning, we'll get a better appreciation for both of those. Pray to bless our time now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so for our context, we'll actually um, read just a fairly short section. We'll start in verse 26 and read through the end of the chapter. So, Marie, you want to start for us? For consider your calling, brothers... Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Chase, you want to do 31? Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay. So last week, we finished up the section where it talks about Jews asked for signs and Greeks for wisdom, and we... um, we saw that the, the Greeks, who were all philosophical and, and highly educated, they considered the gospel to be foolish. Um, but then to the called, those of us who are saved, whether we're Jewish or Gentile, um, the gospel is the power of God and the wisdom of God to save. You know, God's plan brought us to him, to himself. And the there's no plan in the world of any has come up, anybody in the world has come up with a plan yet different than God's that, that bring us into uh, conformity with Him or into fellowship with Him, and His power was necessary to bring us from our depraved state into uh, fellowship with Him. So, then starting verse 26, uh, Paul is starting to have the the Corinthians look at themselves to see what kind of people did God select to be part of that church in Corinth. And I mentioned last time that I always I look at this passage and I think of the island of misfit toys. And uh, we'll really get into that this morning. Um, we just looked at verse 26 last time where it says, Consider your calling, brethren, there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. So there was nobody particularly special, or very few. Most of them were just regular people. And we had seen uh, from the history of Corinth that uh, Julius Caesar, when he rebuilt the city in 46 BC, he had imported a lot of freedmen from Rome. And these are people who were just one step above slaves in the social standing. So Besides the fact that half the people in the Roman Empire were slaves, they also had 
a lot of freedmen who were just one step above them. So, so typically you could probably look at the Corinthian church, just look at the population in general, and you'd see a lot of people who were not in very high social status there. They did have a few. So this morning we're going to start pick up at verse 27. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen. The things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. That no man should boast before God. So this is really where Paul starts insulting the church. I mean, we'll see that it's not meant as an insult, but it sure looks that way. Uh, we'll begin with the word foolish in verse 27. Now, we talked about this word earlier. It comes from the Greek word moros, from which we get our word moron. Yeah, it means dull and stupid. <laughs> Consider your call. Uh, God's chosen the dull and stupid of the world. Um, and it's to shame the wise. Paul applies this to himself. Let's turn to chapter 4. Someone like to read verse 10 for us. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Okay, so here he applies it to himself. Um, and the, the problem with the Corinthians, again, there were... Um, those who followed Paul, those who followed Apollos, those who followed Peter, a lot of them really um, uh, had, they, they downplayed Paul. They disrespected him. And we'll see that in a little bit. And so he, he's being kind of sarcastic here in verse 10, in chapter 4, verse 10. He says, you, you think I'm a fool. Okay, I'll, I'll call myself a fool. He really wasn't. Um, but it also says in this, this verse, he says, we are weak. Well, that's the next thing we have in our list back uh, in our verse, in verse 27. The, God has chosen the weak things of the world. Um, that means feeble and impotent. <laughs> so not only we have the dull and stupid, now we have the feeble and impotent. <laughs> Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Someone like to read verses 9 and 10 for us. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, so this weakness here is that same word. And here, um, Paul almost uses it as a badge of honor. He says, I'm, I'm weak, therefore Christ works through me, and it's his strength that, we, that you see in my ministry, not mine. Um, so he, again, he um, includes himself, he, he talks about the Corinthians being foolish and weak, but he also says he's, he's the same way. God has chosen him because he was weak and foolish. And we'll see that God's power and wisdom then are demonstrated through them. Uh, going on to verse 28, it talks about the base things of the world and the despised. 
The word base means without kin. So you're saying you do not have ancestors who were well-known and famous or noble people. Um, you have unknown descent. We've got a good example of that in Hebrews chapter 7. And this refers to Christ as our priest. Hebrews chapter 7, and someone like to read verse 3. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Okay, so this is referring to Melchizedek, who just, he just shows up to bless Abraham. Um, the Jewish priests were only priests because they were in the lineage of Aaron. They had to be descendants of Aaron. Melchizedek had no record of his uh, ancestors, but he was a priest. And so that's what we see here, that you know, the, the people here in Corinth... None of them had famous ancestors. Um, you know, a lot of us can trace back through our ancestry, and, and here and there there's someone who's famous. I think my mom's great-great-uncle was Asa Mercer, who Mercer Island's named after him. I think he was one of, he was a governor. He was the president of the University of Washington. Yeah. So that's my claim to thank fame. I have a great-great-great-uncle somewhere that <laughs> did something good. Um, but they didn't have any noble family. So that's what base means. We also have despised. And that basically means something that's contemptible. Something or someone you look down on with contempt. And we have another place where that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which someone would like to read verse 4. Us. So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? Okay, so there it's the, those who are of no account in the church. So you pick the least respectable, competent person in your church is what he's talking about here. Um, but he's saying it. Even them would be better than to go to unbelieving judges. So that's that word despicable. The people you have the least amount of respect for. So God has picked those in the society who have the least amount of respect in order to shame those who think they are wise and strong and noble. And those who think that they are important are not important to God at all. So all their so-called greatness is nothing compared to God. God is not impressed with them. Now the latter part of verse 28 says, He picks the things that are not that he might nullify the things that are. And you could say he picks the nobodies in order to shame those who think they're somebody. Those are terms that we use in, uh, in our language. Um, he picks the nobodies um, so that those somebodies would basically become nothing. And his ultimate purpose then is in verse 29. 
so that no man should boast before God. God does not put up with the proud people. He, he puts down the proud and he lifts up the humble. We see that all through scripture. So let's look at a couple examples. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 2. God opposes the proud and lifts up the humble. Isaiah chapter 2, does someone like to read verses 10 and 11 for us? Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Okay, so this is looking toward the future. This is prophecy when God will come, Christ will return to uh, destroy the kingdoms of the earth and, and set himself upon the throne. Um, but we see the, the proud, the lofty, they'll all be humbled and, and uh, abased. And it says the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. So we see that principle. Um, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 9 also. These are, this is a passage you might have heard of before. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Okay, so I think this passage is probably in the back of Paul's mind when he's writing to the Corinthians, because it's so similar to what we have in our passage in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, we see the wise, the mighty, the rich should not boast but we should boast about our, our relationship with Christ. That's what we have. If we're going to boast about anything, it's about our relationship with Christ and all that he's done for us. <coughs> and one last verse. Let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And would someone like to read verses 9 through 11 for us here? Okay, so this is the same idea. So he's got the brothers in humble circumstances. Well, that describes the same people that Paul's writing to in Corinth. They're in humble circumstances. But in Christ, what are they? They're sons of God. They should glory in that. That's what James is telling them. Glory in what Christ has done for you. On the other hand, you've got the rich. James is pretty tough on the rich as you go through this. He, he basically is, has the opinion that the only way that people become rich is by oppressing others, is what it sounds like. Um, he says, don't be proud of the fact that you're wealthy, because 
that just easy come, easy go is basically what he says. It'll just fade away quickly. So, um, so here we have, again, God um, opposing the proud and raising up the humble, and he is the one who gets the glory for the, all this. Okay, now looking at verses 30 and 31. It says, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So the fact that God picked the nobodies of the world does not mean that we're still nobodies. Um, we just read in James 1.9 about those in low circumstances should glory in their position um, where God has put us. And what we see at the beginning of verse 30 is, is how did this happen? It says we are in Christ Jesus. God has put us into Christ. And so we share all that he has. So when we're saved, when we put our faith in the gospel, God's Holy Spirit comes upon us and baptizes us into Jesus Christ. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Would someone like to read that for us? For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Okay, so this, the main topic in chapter 12 is spiritual gifts, but it talks about us being baptized into one body. That's the body of Christ. And it's done by the Holy Spirit. That's what this main reason I wanted to turn to this verse. That's how it happens. Um, but again, even in this verse, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you're a slave or a free man. Those are all the different categories we've been looking at. You have all been baptized into the body of Christ. And all that other stuff is in the past. It's not to be considered. You're a baptized into Christ. So let's look at some of the things that um, we share as a result of this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to Romans chapter 6. Someone like to read verses 3 and 4 for us. Romans 6, verses 3 or 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, so this being baptized into Christ, one... We're baptized into his death. He died to sin. We also are dead to sin. And that's a, um, what Paul then goes and explains about in Romans 6. We've died to sin, so how should we then continue to live in it? Um, but we're also raised a new life. Our, our new life, our regeneration, our new, new um, souls are, are a result of the Spirit coming into us. And so we're raised to life here. We share his death and his resurrection. Uh, let's also turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 
Galatians chapter 3. Someone like to read verses 26 through 29 for us here. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Okay, so this is a... Verse 26 in particular, we're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Ladies too. <laughs> I mean, it's a masculine word there, but he, he does specifically say there's neither male nor female in Christ. Um, the reason for using the word sons is, has to do with inheritance rights. Uh, under the Jewish law, the inheritance passed to the sons. Same under like Greek and Roman law and customs. So, um, you know, if he hadn't used that word, he, he's saying, you ladies aren't left out of that. You, have, you, are inher you inherit the, the glories of Christ as well. And that's what he says in verse 28. Again, neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free. Those are the groups we've had here in Corinth that we've talked about. So we're heirs of the promises that God gave to Abraham. Well, we all have that inheritance so as sons of God, we're definitely no longer nobodies. And I think an example of the foolishness of the world, uh, and I think when I was still in high school, I read a, a book called The Emergence of Man. This is before I was saved. The Emergence of Man was a detailed account of how man evolved from whatever we were before, you know, but through the apes and et cetera, et cetera. How man developed and it was all this, uh, you know, atheistic anthropology. Um, and there's another book, I think, written about that same time called The Naked Ape. That's what unbelievers consider themselves. We are basically highly advanced apes without a lot of hair on us. <laughs> we don't have fur, so we're naked. That's what they think of themselves. That's how they value humans. And I think that's part of the problem we see in our culture today is a low value placed on human life. Um, so in Christ, we're sons of God. There's such a dichotomy there, such a difference. So that's human wisdom, which is foolish, as we can see from, from God's word. Okay, so this terminology he uses here is what, what we are in Christ. And that's, that in itself would be a whole study to look at that term and, and say, what are we in Christ? What do we have in Christ? But here he lists some of the things. Um, okay, I've lost my place. I'm in Romans. Let's go back to that. First Corinthians. What do we have in Christ? First, we have wisdom from God. So we've been talking about the wisdom of the world. So this is the true wisdom this is God's absolute truth that we have. Um, again, we saw back in verse 27, it said God picked the foolish. But now in Christ, we have been made wise. We know the truth in Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we have the truth and we know it. Um, the second thing he says here is uh, righteousness. And righteousness has to do with a right standing before God. 
Jesus had perfect righteousness. He had perfect standing before God. I want to look at a couple passages about this. Let's get, look at Philippians chapter 3. And someone like to read verse 9 for us. Philippians 3, 9. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Okay, so Paul's talking about himself here. He talks about, you know, being a Hebrew of Hebrews and, and all these things and how he, he was a Pharisee and, and, and an outstanding Pharisee. He was very religious and he had all these things going for him. And he says he counts them as nothing because his own righteousness is worthless. He was righteous in the eyes of the other religious leaders, but before God he was not. He's giving all that up so he can have Christ's righteousness, which is true righteousness in Christ on the basis of faith. Let's also go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 21, someone would like to read that for us. Yes. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay. So that's the, the I guess, the great exchange here. Our sins were put on Christ, his righteousness that was given to us. So in Christ, we have his perfect righteousness, his perfect standing before God. Okay, the next thing we have in our verse, in, in Christ, we have sanctification. Uh, word basically means to be made holy or to be set apart. And so this implies uh, not just the removal of our guilt and our shame from our past, but being set apart for God's purposes. God has sanctified us. He set us apart unto himself. We can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We spent a lot of time looking back in 1 Corinthians because a lot of these themes carry through. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, someone like to read verse 11 for us. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, so in verses 9 and 10, he lists a bunch of the sins that was prevalent in Corinth. Here's all these horrible things that was part of their culture and part of their society. And in verse 11, he says, that's what some of you were doing. But you've been sanctified. You've been set apart. You've also been washed. You, you, all this filth has been washed away. You've been justified. Again, in the name of Christ, all these things that they were given when they accepted him by faith. Okay, the next thing on our list is redemption. And re the main idea of redemption is to purchase something or to pay a ransom price. Um, there's different words that are translated redemption from the Greek, but a couple of them have the basic idea of going to the marketplace and purchasing something. And I remember... Uh, an illustration, uh, well, some of them means to purchase and release of uh, back during the time of slavery. 
There were those who would go to the slave markets, purchase the slaves, and then grant them their freedom. And that was a perfect illustration of what, what this verb or this word uh, refers to. We have been purchased out of slavery to sin and slavery to death and set free. So again, 1 Corinthians, let's go back to chapter 6. This time, would someone like to read verses 19 and 20 for us? Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? <clears throat> you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Okay, we've been bought with a price. God has purchased us um, for himself. So this is the idea of redemption. We've been redeemed from, from the world and purchased by God for his purposes. Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and someone would like to read verse 7 for us. Okay, again, redemption. Here's linked with forgiveness of sins. We've been purchased. Um, the ransom has been paid, so we're not under the um, penalty of death that comes from our sins. We've been, we've been redeemed from that. The, the price has been paid. We've been set free from that. Um, there's a lot of other passages. I, there's a couple. Romans 3 talks about being, we are redeemed by propitiation, God's has been propitiated through the blood of Christ. Uh, Colossians 1, we are redeemed, and this leads to forgiveness, which is very similar to what we've just read. Um, let's also go turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. You know, like picture of yeah. a stamp that says paid. <laughs> yes. That visual, you know, paid. Paid. Paid in full, yes. First uh, Peter chapter 1, would someone like to read verses 18 and 19? I like these verses. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Okay. So he's writing here specifically to the Jews and talking about the futility of living under the law. Uh, we weren't living under the law, but we were living under a feudal system anyways. Uh, we had no way of uh, getting eternal life. Uh, you know, like Solomon writes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You know, that's the world we lived in. And so we were purchased out of that. Um, the thing I like about these two verses is it talks about, specifically about how much value God places on us. Um, one way of establishing the value of an object is how much is someone willing to pay for it? So what did God establish as your value? The blood of Christ. The death of his son. That's how much God values you. I think of... Um, Jesus and, and uh, some of his parables, he talks about the pearl of great price, where the man sold all that he had to go and buy that one pearl. 
And so that's, we're precious in God's eyes. And that's something I think we need to remember, especially in our dealings with other believers. They are precious in God's eyes. You don't mess with them. You don't put them down. You don't hurt them. You don't trot on them or anything else. All other believers are absolutely precious in God's eyes. Don't mess with them. <laughs> God does not appreciate that. Okay, one more verse on redemption. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, someone likely read verses 21 through 23. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we are. Wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, there we got the final redemption. The redemption of our bodies. We shall be glorified. We shall no longer have these bodies that are beset by our old sin natures and by the corruption of the flesh. Uh, the, I say the failure of the flesh. You know, all the aches and pains and eyesight goes away and the hearing goes away and all, everything else is going away and uh, this is the ultimate redemption where God will redeem our bodies and will be set free from uh, the corruption and the, the failures of our bodies. So you look at all these things together and, and we were basically redeemed from all the weaknesses, all our foolishness, all our unworthiness, God called us out of that, and he's given us all these things. Um, and all this happens by grace through the power and the wisdom of the gospel so that all the glory goes to God. We cannot boast in ourselves, but only in what Christ and what God has done. And so that's where we get to his last phrase in verse 3. 31, where it says, And just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So we have all these things through Christ. And again, this is, we've read from uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. You know, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the um, rich man, or the power, or, or the rich man in his wealth, but... Uh, that him who boasts, boasts in the Lord, that he knows him. So it's quoted here at verse 31. And if your Bible's like mine, that whole line is in capital letters to demonstrate that it's a, it's a quotation from the Old Testament. So let's also turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 17, what do you see? But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. It's exactly the same thing. He quotes it again in the second book that he writes to the Corinthians. So all this is to, this is why God picks out those who 
like you said, you know, Christ came to save those who, who are sinners. Um, so that God gets the glory for our salvation. Um, we do not work for it in any way. We do not deserve it in any way. It's a, a gift by God and God does all the work. Okay, so that does bring us to the end of the first chapter. Um, it's a little early, but I don't. I think we'll stop there because uh, he kind of changes topics a little bit in chapter two, because he's been applying all this to the Corinthians. You know, here's look at yourselves. Here's what you were. Now here's what you are in Christ. And so in chapter two, he's going to start applying it to himself a little bit. He's going to say, "Remember what? Remember what I was like when I came and." preach the gospel to you. So he'll apply it to himself and show how God worked through him as well. So, But I think we'll stop there because uh, I, I don't want, yeah, it's a good breaking point, yes. No. So if we don't have any questions or comments, well, Joe, you want to close for us? Please? Yeah. Dear Lord, we thank your word. Thank you for the living word that speaks to us, for the lessons they have in it for life lessons, how we deal with you, how we deal with other, other believers. And we thank you for the lessons that just is a guidebook for us as a Christian and how, how we should walk and where we should go. Let us be obedient to the places you call us. Let us be obedient to the, do the things you are calling us out to do. And let us walk in that um, idea of following your word, following your voice, following you where you have us go. Let us be obedient and just bring play, um, grace and, and the glory of you to those we meet and that we can be a living testimony for you to them. You pray. Amen. Amen.